We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Hope everyone is doing well um, on Monday night. Hope you hope uh, you had a good weekend and everything. Um, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Um, hopefully, hopefully you... Uh, got your significant others and kids and whatnot uh the significant the the right the right stuff that you need to get but uh uh nonetheless um let's uh let's focus on some of the interesting stuff going on obviously number one on the list right now is the sunbelt expansion and conference usa uh going down in flames but uh Obviously, the Sun Belt getting a jolt um, this past week with the announcement on Friday of uh, Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion leaving Conference USA right away and ready to join this year with uh, James Madison and JMU doing the same. JMU had already announced it, said that it was happening, um, which kind of led to the rumors that, hey, Marshall, Southern Miss, and and Old Dominion might be doing it as well, um, just to even out, obviously even out the leagues, even out the schedules and everything. But it was just just an amazing timing um, for everything because Southern Miss, Marshall, and Old Dominion announced they were leaving the conference um, right as Conference USA released the conference football schedule to the head coaches, ADs, pro, to those programs. So as soon as they got those, the, now those schools are like, hey, Southern Miss is on my schedule. Hey, Marshall's on my schedule. What do I do? So that's going to create a huge scramble now for Conference USA and what they're going to do. Um, and, and Just a huge mess. But for the Sun Belt's perspective now, um, now the Sun Belt will have to go back and redo their schedules, but you're redoing it in a way now where you're going to have the East Division and the West Division um, and it's it's going to be great for the conference. Just uh, super super exciting, honestly. Just to see uh, what that's turned into. the The Sun Belt East is going to just be a gauntlet week in week out. You're going to have uh, James Madison, Old Dominion, Marshall, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, and App State. I mean, just obviously App State, Coastal. And Marshall right now are the cream of the crop, but JMU's coming in, and JMU has been the cream of the crop at the FCS level. And I'm not going to put it like I said in the previous episode I had with with uh, Michael, uh, JMU, really big JMU guy. Um, just um, just an amazing they, the run that they've had has been amazing, and I, I truly believe they're going to be able to come in and compete. I don't feel like they're going to just fall flat on their face. Um, Old Dominion's got a little bit left to do, obviously, to get up to that level. Georgia State is close. They're very close to being on the – I mean, they beat Coastal last year. 
they're 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 going to be right there. Um, Georgia Southern new coaching staff. I feel if give them some time, realistic expectation. I've, I feel like they'll be all right. Then you look at the Sun Belt West, where Louisiana has run the West, run what would be the West um, for the longest time, but with a new staff and a exodus of players, it kind of opens things up a little bit. But you still have to give them their due and say that they're they're the top team in the West. But there's some teams on the rise in the West. I mean, Southern Miss, the the transfer portal is going to just help them exponentially. I mean, what they what they were able to do in the portal, getting a, a whole new offensive line and defensive line, which was their major issue last year, why they went through eight different quarterbacks in different situations there. Um, it's going to be huge for them. Arkansas State has the best recruiting class in the conference, um, so they're bringing in a ton of, a ton of talented players. Um, you look at Troy, um, new coaching staff, but Troy has – the potential to be very good. They have the history of being good as well. Then you look at ULM. They're on the rise. They're, they've gotten better. Um, then you got uh, Texas State, who is a a sleeping giant or mini giant, if you ask me. I mean, they they got a lot of talent there where they can get some things done. Um, just there's this, the new look Sun Belt is going to be exciting. Great, great rivalries. The proximity for all these schools and how close they are to each other is just amazing. I forgot South Alabama as well in the West. South Alabama started out tremendous last year and then kind of fell flat at the end of the year and missed a bowl game. But they're another program that's on the rise too, if you ask me. But going back to what I was what I was saying, that the just this the proximity of the rivalries. Like you look at the East. I mean, obviously, App and Coastal has kind of become like. It's become a big, big deal, and, and I'm a huge fan of of that rivalry and both those programs and everything, and what what that means for the landscape of not only the Sun Belt but for college football as well. But but you look at you add Marshall to that list, and App State and Marshall have a huge history, and I mean a lot of these teams have history from the FCS level, but JMU has history with almost everybody in this in the New East. Uh, Georgia Southern has a his, great history with App State and JMU, and just you can go on and on and on. But I think the, a new rivalry that's going to form that's going to be really good for the con- for the conference and for the division is JMU and Old Dominion. I, I think just the proximity of those two schools is going to be great for the, the state of Virginia. We kind of talked about that in the previous episode, like I said. Um, just that's going to be a big deal. But then you look in the West and. I mean, Southern Miss and South Alabama are down the street from each other, basically. Um, and, I mean, Texas State's kind of the outlier in that regard, but you always have Louisiana against Monroe. I mean, it, it's – but but it, I think it's it's just going to be it's, – it, it's such an amazing conference with how great it is now for, for what it's going to be. And uh, really, really excited moving forward quickly with that. Uh, and what that's going to mean for for everything it's just it's just uh it's super super exciting and i cannot wait for to see it in action but then you look at conference usa now um and before i dive into conference usa i want to say first off the, the last episode i did with michael talking about jmu and their expansion and moving to the to the sunbelt and everything was 
by far the most streamed episode that I have had so far. And I really, really want to say thank you to all the JMU fans out there. Just the passion that you guys have for for your for your athletic department, for your school is second to none. I mean, I, I've I'm lucky to be followed by a lot of great fan bases, and uh, JMU has has just been tremendous with this. And I thank you guys, I really do for uh, for streaming and listening to the show. And I hope you guys like. And hope you guys continue to listen. Um, I will um, I will always talk about the Sun Belt. Everybody who continuously listens to this show knows that that I will always be talking about the Sun Belt um, with my affection for coastal Carolina, but for, but I talk about the entire league. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of the Sun Belt, and I will always give the Sun Belt its credit and its due. But now let's dive into um, Conference USA a little bit here. Um, just obviously losing, you release your conference football schedule, and literally at the same time, you lose three of those members. The three of those members literally say, no, we're done. Bye, see ya. And then Conference USA in the contract doesn't put in that that they have to pay a buyout. So these teams literally can just leave and and it's not an issue. Like in every other conference that happens, you have to pay millions and millions of dollars to leave and Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion aren't going to have to do anything. So personally, if I'm Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky, when you were looking into maybe going to the MAC and you see that I, I think that uh, I think that <laughs> that's a big problem, but I think the, the the another issue that this can lead to is why wouldn't these other schools that are going to the American now leave? If you're if you're UAB, UTSA, North Texas, um, so, some of the other schools in the in in Conference USA that are leaving, why why would you why would you stay now? I mean that it. Uh, there's no reason to me that that any of these teams should uh, should stay in Conference USA now. They should just be like, nope, see ya. Like, why would why would Florida Atlantic and Charlotte and UTSA and UAB and North Texas why would they stay in Rice? Like, there's no reason there's no reason for them to like. Your conference next year is going to kind of be, I mean, it's already turning into a laughing stock of just because of how everything's been handled and how poorly it's been run by Conference USA. But you just look at it and you're just like, what, what is going on? Um, and, and, and personally, I think Conference USA needs to throw all of their eggs into the basket of of basketball and the other sports. Like you look at the new members that they've added for Conference USA. Um, new Mexico State, very talented basketball program. Sam Sam Houston State has a talented basketball program. Um, Liberty, uh, been to the NCAA tournament the past couple years. I mean, Jacksonville State is on the rise as a basketball program as well. So that got me to thinking um, kind of selfishly in my in my quest to go to all the FBS stadiums like hey how could how could we just add more teams to this and 
you you look at the demise of like the big south and in the colonial from conference perspectives and it got me thinking like why why if you're conference usa would you not like go get say youngstown state who has a very successful football program um why wouldn't you go and knock on say kennesaw state who has developed into a into a good football program and their basketball program is on the rise um why wouldn't you go to every single school in the ohio valley right now and just say and just gauge interest like i mean in the case of basketball expansion belmont is leaving the ovc to go to the missouri valley for basketball and, and other sports obviously but I'm, I'm just looking at it from that perspective right now why wouldn't you go to murray state and murray state has a decent football program but why wouldn't you go to murray state and just be like hey like murray state come to conference usa like move up for football but let's come build this like perennial like top of the line g5 basketball conference like go get murray state go get illinois state go get like moorhead state who is having a very good season like the list that i came up with real quickly when i was thinking of this was Kennesaw State, Central Arkansas, Eastern Kentucky, Illinois State, Eastern Illinois, Tennessee Martin, Murray State, Moorhead State, Southeast Missouri State, Austin P, um, Tennessee Tech. Like I said, Youngstown State. You could look up Mercer. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways you could go with this. I mean, maybe you could even go into the Southern Conference and try and get some of those teams like Furman and um, some of the team Chattanooga some east tennessee state you could go gauge their interest as well i mean you could really form something something pretty substantial it, um from that perspective if, if you were just looking at the fact of hey maybe you can pull some of these teams in um <clears throat> yes you're playing fbs college football but you're looking at it from the other sports perspectives and trying to grow that i think the another team that that could potentially uh go that route just just like logistically is umass I, I and i've said this before where i i feel umass out of the independence kind of needs a conference where, where right now conference usa doesn't really make much sense because everybody would be so far away but realistically what's the difference from what they're traveling now now if conference usa was able to lure a couple teams from the north uh, I know people are going to say UConn, but UConn is a brand in its own. Um, they have a TV contract for their football, for their independent football schedule. And and I've said this before with Jim Moore as the head coach, I think they can really turn the corner and potentially parlay that into something greater down the road. Like I've kind of discussed before in other episodes where if the football program is able to grow into what they potentially could – why wouldn't the ACC come calling? Because you already know what you're getting in other sports at the University of Connecticut. Men's basketball, women's basketball, top of the line. Baseball, they're getting tremendously better. Um, the hockey programs are great. I, I I don't know the whole landscape of hockey. I don't know if the ACC schools play. I, I don't know about that. But I'm just kind of speaking to the other sports. Like, if you're – even the Big Ten, like, if you get – 
UConn is a much better draw than Rutgers, if you ask me. Um, but nonetheless, like I'm just looking at it that way. Now, if you if, if Conference USA gets is able to get UMass, why couldn't you go then talk to say the likes of a Delaware or New Hampshire or like the, the some teams like that that give you give them a proximity to to some of those schools where they're not just going south or west for every single game they play but nonetheless i mean i i I think conference usa needs to put all their eggs in that basket and just say hey like we dropped the ball in football expansion entirely we have to refocus this and maybe our when we refocus this we go get some talented fcs football programs but we focus this now on hey Conference USA now is going. It's going to be a a decent football conference, maybe the maybe the worst of the G five football conferences. But then you focus it on okay. Conference USA is now the best G five basketball conference, or the best women's basketball. Like just just looking at it from other perspectives, I think that's a way that Conference USA can kind of fix this just because they've made a tremendous mess of this and they have failed those schools that are staying in the conference. They have failed them entirely, which leads me to um, a hilarious uh, point that happened today. Uh, Conference USA released its executive of the week. This is the conference named Jeremy McLean, uh, Director of Athletics at the University of Southern Mississippi, Conference USA's Executive of the Week today. This is the same athletic director who on Friday announced they were leaving the conference promptly. So, way to go, Conference USA. You dropped the ball once again. But, (laughs) nonetheless, I, I I just thought that was hilarious when I saw that today, and I had to share it. And just <laughs> bravo, Conference USA once again. Now, my next topic. We're I'm a, everybody knows I have a partnership with Sylines Connecticut. Again, thank you to those guys. I really really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for the gear you have sent me, the Yukon gear. Um, everyone who was involved in that process, just thank you so much. I I now am ready to. I'm always ready to talk about UConn football, but now I'm ready for the NCAA tournament coming up for men's and women's basketball, and I will be cheering on the Huskies in that regard as well. But just today, just within the past couple hours, UConn football released its spring um, schedule. Um, They will be practicing starting at the end of March into April, and their spring game will be April 21st. Um, They've not released where and when that game is going to be, but nonetheless. So uh, Husky fans, you have that to look forward to. Um, UMass also released theirs today. I thought that was kind of funny because UMass and UConn can go hand-in-hand, in my opinion, with the landscape of college football right now because they both change coaches at the same time. They're rivals. They need to have a trophy for the rivalry. I've talked about that many times, but... Nonetheless, I always feel like they're trying to one-up each other, which is just kind of funny to me. But it's going to be really, really interesting for for UConn going into the spring here. 
so much new talent on the roster, so many new faces. Um, we've talked about that at length. But the number one thing I'm looking forward to, to seeing is, and I think others would agree with this, is the quarterback battle um, between a number of guys, a uh, handful of transfers. And then I, I, I'm just really, really, really excited to see um, the Penn State transfer, uh, Roberson, what, what he can do, and to see if somebody else kind of competes with him for the job. Um, the new freshman they have coming in from Florida is a fantastic player. But I, if you ask me, I think that they would probably redshirt him this year. But in the spring, obviously, he can play, and it will, it's not an issue at all. But just uh, exciting to see – see that position battle um obviously there i i personally believe another position i'm really really excited to see is the wide receiver position because and some some people might think i'm crazy for saying this but i've said it a couple times now i think uconn has the potential to have one of the top 10 wide receiver rooms in the country um, the guys that they have coming back in the new faces they have coming in from freshmen to transfers um is pretty amazing i mean there are some really really talented guys there and i'm super excited to see that and and i i think it's going to shock some people when they when they hit the field august 27th against a very very good utah state team in utah um that they're going to have some really really talented athletes on the outside to do some things and uh I think the Aggies will be pleasant. They'll be surprised to see, wow, these guys are a lot better than we thought they were. And then, as we know, like defensively, they got some good young guys. Um, but I, I'm really, really excited to see all these new faces come together and uh, what it's going to lead to for that program. And just the, just the future of UConn football is very, very bright, in my opinion. And... Like I said, there's much, much better things in sight for UConn football. Uh, the next segment I am going to discuss now is uh, my weekly coach, coach's corner um, that I started last week. I went into depth a little bit about Lincoln Riley. I've talked about him a lot. But now I'm going to just dive in. I'm diving in ABC order of uh, the new head coaches. And first on the list is Akron. Akron hired uh, Joe Moorhead, who was the off offensive coordinator at Oregon. Um, obviously had some really, really good success there over the past couple years, the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator there. Before that, he was the head coach at Mississippi State for a couple years. Now, he was only there two years, and I, I really feel like he was kind of like, not given a fair shot, if you ask me. Um, just they went eight and four in twenty eighteen, which at Mississippi State is is good. I mean, I feel like that's really good at Mississippi State. Then the following year goes six and seven, um, loses the bowl game, and then they let him go. But it's like, did did you really did you really give him a fair shot? It is is my opinion in that um, his 
other previous experience, um, he was an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at UConn. Uh, he, he coached at Akron for a while in the early 2000s. He was wide receiver coach, recruiting coordinator, and then he was he, he's kind of coached about everything on offense um, at Akron. Then he turned out to be the offensive coordinator at Akron, so that's how he ends up getting the job at Akron. Um, then he was a head coach in the early to mid-2010s um, at Fordham, had some success there that is difficult to have from uh, any sport, honestly, at Fordham. But he played. He played at Fordham. Went to Fordham. So I mean, that's that's how he got that job, and he had some success there. But him getting this Akron job, I think, is a little a little head scratching to some people. Um, but but I mean, this is a guy who who deserves an opportunity. I mean, he's he's has a very good record as a head coach at fifty two and twenty five. He's zero two in bowl games, but. But uh, like I said, I never really thought he was giving a fair shot at Mississippi State, and they kind of ran him out of there for, uh, which which confused me when that happened. And and to be quite frank, I thought he was going he was going to be one of the top guys to get the UConn job. I really really did. And when he didn't, I thought he would be in the running for a handful of other jobs, and I'm sure he was, but he just didn't get them. So then Akron comes along and. And scoops him up, and I, I think it's a great hire by Akron. I mean, to get somebody with that pedigree, where he's um, been an offensive coordinator, been successful at a handful of places. I mean, he was successful as an OC at Connecticut, um, led him to getting the Fordham job. Then he became the offensive coordinator at Penn State in sixteen and seventeen, with some super super talented players like Saquon Barkley. But I mean, I mean the guy's done great, and then he's been the, the offensive coordinator at Oregon. Obviously, like I said, the head coach at Mississippi State. I mean, this guy's been there and done that as a coach. Like he's that's why I was kind of surprised when some of these other schools passed on him. So for Akron to get him is a big deal, I think. Um, now for Akron's perspective, they they let go Tom Arth, who I thought was starting to get his footing and starting to get things going um, at Akron. And they let him go in the middle of the year. And it was kind of kind of head scratching when they did, um, but and I know a lot of people kind of agree with this that they, that Tom Arth was kind of headed in the right direction at Akron, and they were starting to get their footing and starting to do better. And then as soon as they start get their footing and doing better, you let them go, um, which is it, it, it's the business that is it that's that is how this business works, unfortunately. Um, I can speak to that as a former college basketball coach myself, just the business side of this profession. Um, it, it, it gets you, let's just say that. But you look at Akron last year, they, they finished the year, uh, two and 10, one and seven in the league. So, I mean, obviously not where you want to be, but you look at last year, they get throttled by Auburn to start the year, which you expect, but then they turn around, uh, they, they lose to Temple, but they at least fight. It was a home game for them. They turn around, they beat Bryant, then they get beat pretty good by Ohio State, obviously. But they, they made that Ohio State game a game in the in the first in the first quarter, I'll say. I mean, they, they battled with them. They, they had the lead for a minute, and, but that's none, nonetheless. Then they lose to Ohio. They end up winning at Bowling Green. Uh, they lose to Miami, Ohio, lose to Buffalo. 
uh, lose narrowly to Ball State, lose narrowly to Western Michigan, then they get throttled by Kent State and Toledo. So, I mean, you kind of look at their schedule. The good thing for them is they're in the MAC East. The MAC East is wide open year in, year out. It's not like the West where it's a gauntlet every year. The MAC West this year, every team made a bowl game and was bowl eligible. The East, only two of them were bowl eligible. And one of them, Kent State, who won the East, loses their quarterback who might end up being an NFL draft pick. Um, so the East is open. Um, there is, it's for the taking. Um, and so, so there's that going for them. You look at their, um, the non-conference schedule that they have set up for next year. They haven't released their conference schedule yet. The Mac hasn't, but their non-con schedule next year, they host St. Francis university on that Thursday night to start the season. So you have to, they, they have to win that game, obviously. But then they have three road games where they're getting paid at Michigan State, at Tennessee, and at Liberty. Um, obviously, those are games where they're going to get beat pretty hand. They, they should get beat pretty handily, especially Tennessee and Michigan State. I mean, you would think they, they wouldn't be able to compete for very long in either of those games. Liberty, maybe they can hang in there for a little while, but... You, you just look at that, and, and, and that's the type of schedule that a lot of MAC teams play is something on the order of that um, to make money and to fuel their program. But uh, but nonetheless, that's what they're looking at going into next year. But like I said, being in the MAC East does help them. But then you look at like some of their statistics and everything from last year for what they have coming back, and they – they started a freshman quarterback at the end of the year, uh, Zach Gibson, who's from uh, Georgia. Um, it, Ten touchdowns and no interceptions on the season. Completed over over 69% of his passes, um, over 1,200 yards passing, a 158 rating. So, I mean, this is a guy who was pretty successful last year. Um, he, throw for, he threw for over 300 yards against Western Michigan and Ball State, the two games where they were, they were, they were right there until the end. Um, and he threw two touchdowns in each game. Then uh, in their game at Miami, Ohio, threw for 291 yards and three touchdowns. So, I mean, this is a guy who had a successful end of the season there. So, I mean, you look at that and you say, hey, maybe they got something in the quarterback there. So it would be interesting to see. Um, and Joe, Joe Moorhead obviously has done really well with some of the quarterbacks that he's had. Another guy that they had played quarterback, especially at the beginning of the year, was uh, DJ Irons. He's a sophomore from Georgia. He's six six. He's a big kid. So I mean, but he's a dual threat type quarterback. Um, he threw for eight touchdowns, four interceptions, but he was the second leading rusher on the team last year. So that tells you something there. I mean, he ran for two hundred ninety six yards and two touchdowns. So I mean, they got to shore up the running game for sure. Um, they. One of the guys they have who is talented is at receivers, freshman Konata Mumfield. Um, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. But he had eight touchdowns and 751 yards receiving. So, I mean, that young man had a very, very good year. So, so you look at their roster. I mean, there's a couple. And then they had another receiver, um, a sophomore also from Georgia, Michael Matheson, who had 706 yards receiving and three touchdowns. So, I mean, you look at that. You look at their passing game and you say, hey, there might be something there. And you have Joe Moorhead coming in as your head coach, and you know he's an offensive guru. 
you say, hey, they might be able to put something together there offensively. Um, just because you know the East is down, like Bowling Green hasn't been good. You beat them last year, so, I mean, you got a shot. Buffalo definitely didn't live up to expectations last year. Ohio State, or, I mean, Ohio, I should say, was not good at all last year after Frank Solich left. Miami, Ohio, I mean, they're, they've been fairly successful recently. But I think Kent State's going to come back down to earth a little bit, losing Crum at quarterback. So, I mean, you look at it and you say, hey, I mean, I obviously you're not going to sit there and say, hey, this team's going to go worse to first. But but there, there's a – you, you kind of see a path where they could have some success if if they if they're able to put it together. Um, which then kind of leads to you look at their incoming recruiting class. Now, obviously, um, Joe Moorhead kind of comes in late, um, so their high school recruiting class isn't great quantity-wise. you got 10 guys coming in. They're, it's 10th in the MAC out of 12, but they were ranked before Joe Moorhead got there. They were dead last at 12. So you can look at it and say, hey, he at least brought them up two spots. Um, they're ranked 126 nationally. So, I mean, obviously, they, they got some work to do in that regard. But you look at a couple of the guys that they did bring in, um, one in particular that popped out, or two of them that popped off to me, um, an offensive tackle they're getting from uh, from Michigan in uh, Kamari Landers. And you look at you look at him, and he had, he had 12 different offers, uh, this young man did. And he chose Akron over... Buffalo, Cincinnati, Indiana, Kent State, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Oregon, Toledo, and West Virginia. So you look at that and you say, wow, this kid had a handful of P5 offers, including Cincinnati. Um, but you look at it, he said, he's got offers from Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Oregon, and West Virginia. And he was crystal balled um, on, on signing day to be going to Kentucky. Um, but he has now decided he he's going to to Akron. So I mean that is a huge huge get for them. Somebody like that there. And then the other one that I looked at that I'm that I looked at uh, wide receiver Bobby Golden, who's from Miami, Florida, who is who is going to Akron over Florida Atlantic, FIU, and Coastal Carolina. Now I bring that up because I mean Florida Atlantic has been successful coastal obviously has been very successful so i mean to get a guy like that at akron is a big deal um two two good solid commitments there but where where akron really did well recruiting wise was in the transfer portal they're the second best recruiting class from the transfer portal perspective only behind buffalo and they were in the top 60 for transfer classes so i mean that's a big deal for a school like Akron, um, they got a cornerback from Mississippi State, a linebacker from Buffalo in the conference, defensive lineman from Syracuse, um, and uh, a receiver from Wyoming, a tight end from West Virginia, a wide receiver from LSU, an offensive tackle from Houston, a wide receiver from Pitt, a defensive lineman from Memphis, a safety from West Virginia, and a running back from Minnesota. So, you, you look at that and you say, wow, like that, that the guys that they got from the portal perspective is a big deal. And, and the number one thing that sticks out to me from the portal perspective is they got P5 guys. But the other thing that sticks out to me is 
Joe Moorhead didn't bring in a quarterback. So he trusts the young man who's there, who I mentioned earlier, um, who had a very, very productive end of the year. I mean, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Playing in the MAC where it's very pass-heavy is very, very impressive. So I, I, so I, I'm intrigued to see from the from the perspective there of them that, that they're probably going to be throwing the ball around the field a lot and being in the Mac high scoring, lots of points and everything. Um, just really, really intrigued to see what that leads to. And then the other thing to look at when you look at Akron, they have a brand new, well, not brand new, but pretty new stadium. They used to play in the rubber bowl. Um, one of the more iconic stadiums in the Mac, but their new name, their new stadium, Infoschism Stadium at Summa Field um, was just opened in 2009. Uh, it's over $60 million facility, a really, really nice-looking venue. Um, I'm looking forward to attending that in the very near future, uh, as Akron isn't terribly far from me. But the reason I bring that up is because you have a brand-new facility, um, one of the top facilities in the MAC. Um, so you look at that and you say, Okay, now you got an offensive guru um, as your head coach. You got a brand new facility, brand new stadium. Like there's, and you're in the state of Ohio, which is very, very fertile recruiting area. So you look at that and you say, there's a really good opportunity, especially being in the Mac East, like I said, where they could can can contribute and and make a move. I really, really feel that way. Um, there's some talented guys there on offense. Like I said, Joel Moorhead is a good football coach, especially offensively. So I'm excited to see what that leads to for them. Um, and and like I said, you look at their – the only thing I can look at right now is their non-conference schedule. Obviously, you look at what I mentioned earlier, St. Francis University out of Brooklyn. Then you're at – Michigan State at Tennessee and at Liberty. So you're looking one and three. I mean, I think that's very obvious. But nonetheless, I mean, if you could steal, find a way to steal one of those games, like Bowling Green stole a game at at uh, Minnesota last year. I mean, find a way to steal one of those games, and then you finish 500 in the MAC. You're six and six. I mean, so there's there's an opportunity there um, for them to to do something. So the, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and to follow throughout the season. But again, that's my coach's corner. Um, like I said, every week I'm going to dive into, on my Monday episodes, Monday night episodes here, I'm going to dive into one of the new coaching hires and just kind of just kind of uh, give you guys insight about it. So today it was Akron, last week it was USC. So we'll see what Joe Moorhead's able to do. Um, I think year one, you're kind of asking a lot for him to like move up significantly but i feel like it's not out of the question or it wouldn't be crazy um so to conclude the show tonight i have to take a little bit of time to congratulate um my favorite professional football player in matthew stafford everybody who listens to this show regularly knows i am a diehard detroit lions fan through and through i Love, absolutely love my Detroit Lions. And I've loved Matthew Stafford for for 12, 13 years now since he came in the NFL. 
and obviously i i take take a lot of uh, crap being a detroit lions fan um for good reason i mean obviously the franchise is has had terrible leadership and terrible coaching decisions for the most part and has squandered some very very talented players over the years um most recently being Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford. Um, and the both of those guys are loyal to a fault, um, basically. Calvin Johnson so much so that he retires, and Matthew Stafford so much so that he basically had to be convinced to be traded from the Detroit Lions. Um, and when he was traded, it was I was very sad, but I was also very happy for him because I knew – this is a guy who is a top five quarterback in the NFL, and people are are finally going to see that. So he goes to L.A., and they look tremendous all season long. In the last three games in the playoffs, he has to lead them on game-winning drives to win the game, and he does it in the Super Bowl even. Um, uh, just something I've seen my whole – or for the past 12 years, um, 13 years now, but for those 12 years while he was in Detroit – this this guy was always not always, but when he could, leading us to a come from behind victory. Um, in 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 the seasons where they did have other guys around him and have success, he was very successful. I mean that they went eleven and five the one year, um, and made the playoffs and had a very legit opportunity to make a run, um, but. Again, super, super excited for Matthew Stafford getting a Super Bowl ring in year one in L.A. And I, I'm I'm just so thrilled for him, so excited. And, and I think all those years in Detroit, um, I, I've seen it firsthand. Like I said, I've always thought that he's an MVP-level player. I, I've always thought that. I just knew he was in Detroit, and he was never going to get that respect or that due. For, for obvious reasons, because the franchise isn't good and frankly because the national media isn't going to isn't going to give Detroit the respect. Now obviously you need to win games to get respect, but at the same time, the Detroit versus everybody mantra is a real thing. Um, it's a real thing. Um, just don't get me started on that. That's a whole nother thing for a whole nother topic for a whole different podcast than this one. but but uh, Again, I, 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 all that time in Detroit prepared Matthew Stafford for what he faced in these playoffs this year and in the Super Bowl last night. Having to come back in so many circumstances in Detroit is what led him. Now, he's been a clutch guy. I mean, he's been that guy. I mean, he proved that in Detroit, but he definitely proved that to everybody in the world this year with the Rams coming back and winning the games that they won this year in the playoffs and last night in the Super Bowl. And obviously, tremendous defense for the Rams. I mean, you have to have those tremendous players to to win and win at the highest level. So, I mean, it, it, it takes – and it's, and it's a proven point now with Matthew Stafford obviously he's in Detroit he's the best player by far on the roster for many of those years besides Calvin Johnson when he was there but at the end of his time in Detroit he was clearly the number one guy and it wasn't even a question but 
he goes to a team now where he is he, now he he has other guys where Aaron Donald is arguably the best player in football. He's the best defensive player in the in football, but he might be the best overall player in football, the most dominant player in football. But he's also got other guys. And the other thing I need I, I feel like I need to bring up for Matthew Stafford is he has been a part of both of the number one statistical seasons from a wide receiver's perspective. Calvin Johnson with the year he had and then Cooper Cup this year when he won the triple crown. Uh, Matthew Stafford was a quarterback for both of those guys. Um, so again, I could go on and on about Matthew Stafford because I am a just a huge, huge fan of him, and I was so happy, um, just energetic and ecstatic last night after they won that game, and just super, super, super pumped for him. And seeing Cincinnati have the success that they had, and how that franchise has been down for a little while. Gives me hope as a Detroit Lions fan that hey maybe maybe we'll be there sometime, but Cincinnati's not going anywhere. Joe Burrow needs an offensive line. If he gets an offensive line, he's going to win multiple Super Bowls. Joe Burrow is an absolute stud. He had the greatest season in college football history, potentially the greatest team in college football history with LSU in 2019. I mean that young man is just he is set up for superstardom. By the way, but. Hey, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. Hope uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, excited for spring football schedules that are being released and uh, getting out to a couple venues maybe. But uh, nonetheless, again, thank you guys so much for listening. You can always follow me personally at Coach underscore B Will on Twitter. And then please follow the uh, podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. We've gone over 500 Twitter followers um, in the past week. Again, thank you guys so much for all the support that you guys give me. Um, super, super exciting. Really looking forward to the future of this and what it's going to lead to. And uh, again, have a good week, guys. Have a good night. God bless.